0: We walked arm in arm, but I didn't feel his touch.
1: The desire I'd first tried to hide, that tingling inside was gone. When you've so long, that the thrill is gone, and your kisses at night are replaced.
0: Wait, should I do it again, but like in an accent?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You like some Romanian <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hello and welcome to How Did This Get Praised? This spooky movie podcast that punishes teens for fucking. <laughs> you started there
1: and I thought it was going to go French. I was like, "Oh God, oh God, she's taking hard." I got, I gotta save this. But then you, then you, you pulled it out, and I'm real proud of
0: you. Thank you. Um, I'm Danielle Mazio, and I'm here with my co-host. Do you hear a little bit of him? Uh, he doesn't think. He doesn't feel. He doesn't give up. He only follows. it's stefan carlson that makes
1: me sound like a psychopath
0: (laughs) that's the tagline for the movie
1: it is the tagline for the movie and i actually played the it in the movie i know it's invisible the whole movie but i played it
0: i mean we're doing a podcast no one actually knows if you are visible
1: (laughs) it's true i am actually invisible in real life
0: before we get started in the podcast a little bit about the show if this is the first time you're listening Uh, If you're a film lover of any creed, you're probably familiar with the quote-unquote canon. You know, the movies that very annoying people always tell you you have to see uh, before they try to fuck you and pass off a very uh, deadly monster to you. Um, These movies are considered to be the greats for one reason or another, but we started asking, why do these movies get praised? Uh, Throughout each episode, we are going to take one beloved movie, whether a financial success, a critical success, a cold favorite. In this case, a um, horror success. Spooky. Spooky. Um, We're going to talk about two things. Why we think the movie got praised and is it actually any good? Because after all, who are we going to let decide what's good? Two cool as hell best friends who met each other in a high school film class. Hey. It's the first time I saw the Blair Witch Project. Uh, or the stringy haired guy from across the street who you banged once in high school. Who, who
1: may or may not have starred in the Nickelodeon show Victorious. <laughs> I don't think he I'm did. not sure yet. He's Jade's, bo- Jade's boyfriend well, from we Victorious. It's about, the same guy.
0: It doesn't look like him. <laughs> Back. Just, his name is Beck. it's Beck. he's just got thick eyebrows and long hair it's not the same guy the same guy that guy is so clearly taller mm. the guy in the guy in this movie looks like like just like a chode <laughs> don't don't keep it's that like in
1: there <laughs> so insulting to him i
0: I think he's like probably handsome irl just like in that movie he's so he's so ugly it's that
1: one scene where he's talking (laughs) to the girl and eating in the cafeteria and they just they purposefully made him look ugly i know he looks it's
0: right after they like fuck too yeah and he's like just looks at the dead ass straight down the barrel of the camera and is just like the ugliest dude i've ever seen um Wow, this got away from me. Uh, If you've ever loved a movie, (laughs) despite feeling like it wasn't made for you, or you hated a movie that you were told wasn't made for everyone, this is the podcast for you. And our last bit of housekeeping, as per usual, in place of the ads you might be accustomed to, Uh, Stefan and I are selecting an organization each episode that we'd like to encourage you to donate to. We have no affiliation, we just support their missions, and they often are combating real-world issues that are present in some of these movies. So, given the subject matter of today's episode, we're going to ask that you consider donating to psychus sex ed for social change that's spelled s-i-e-c-u-s psychus sex ed for social change Uh, they're formerly known as the sexuality information education council for the united states they just got a rebrand and uh psychus asserts that sex education is a powerful vehicle for social change so continue listening to learn more about them and how you can help support and additionally, we will donate for every listen two dollars, up to a total of fifty dollars to Psychus and yeah. their efforts to make sure sexual health education and resources are accessible and intersectional. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also. Very quickly with our Blue Velvet episode, hit our goal of uh, 25 listens, $50 for a long walk home. So thank you for yeah. that. Uh, we appreciate it. We've been steadily growing listeners. Uh, I have That's no great. idea if you're all the same. <laughs> There's like less than 1% listeners from Russia. Wow. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Putin. <laughs> you got our back.
0: There's like someone from Spain, Brazil, whoever you are. We love you. Yeah, we appreciate you. We hope you're getting the sexual education that you need. Oh God! And additionally, do not get
1: sexual education from this podcast, though. Please.
0: No, not from us. Um, which is a good reminder. It's also always a good time to encourage you to donate if you're if you're in the U.S. to donate to your local Planned Parenthood chapter and yes. uh, the services planned parenthood provide may certainly be threatened in the very near future Uh, so we want to focus on an organization like Psychus that you likely haven't heard of in this episode but also we do highly encourage and support planned parenthood as well which is very relevant to the movie we're going to be talking to to kick off our spooky october and what is it stefan it's david robert mitchell's it follows Start playing like synth music. That's like even wow. <laughs> Um, Stefan, what is It Follows about?
1: So It Follows is about this girl named Jay, who goes on a date, a couple dates with this guy she just met. Um, they have sex, uh, in his car in the forest. Ooh. Um. It's very romantic until it's not because he proceeds to knock her out, ties her to a wheelchair, brings her to an abandoned building and pretty much tells her that something is going to follow her until it gets to her and kills her um, and that she has to pass it off by sleeping with someone else. And the rest of the movie is about her and her friends trying to figure out if they should and how they should and the hilarity and hijinks that (laughs) ensues after that um what a
0: great i you know that's a great synopsis and really demonstrates that like this movie is like a one sentence pitch and i love that about this movie it's it's the concept is like i didn't
1: even have to i didn't even fuck up the synopsis and i prepared nothing so that just shows you
0: (laughs) how airtight
1: it actually is
0: Um, so we're gonna, yeah, we're talking about 2015's It Follows, um, which, uh, is I think really appropriate to kick off our spooky October because, um, this movie is kind of part of a wave of, um, some more, I don't know if prestige is the right word, but more like respected horror movies, especially independent horror movies that we've seen in the last five years, um and so uh it follows really made a splash when it came out uh it's a low budget movie that uh made its returns uh did well at the box office did well with reviews and so uh very excited to talk about it but before we do uh stefan i'm gonna ask you what's up but i'm also i'm gonna end in a little 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 spooky question too uh how are you getting ready for halloween oh
1: shit um i'm not (laughs) oh no (laughs) halloween's a huge afterthought um this year especially
0: But halloween's november 3rd right
1: (laughs) yeah i know i mean we'll be feeling existential horror throughout the whole month so i mean i guess it's good i guess it's timely but other than that, it's like Halloween hasn't been super big for me um, mm-hmm. since I was young. It mm-hmm. just hasn't worked out that way. You know, I've wanted to do it up, but it just hasn't really happened. And this year with, uh, with COVID-19 uh, being the scariest sexy costume of, of, of all, and you know someone really insensitive is going to go to a big Halloween party as sexy COVID-19, and I'm going to hate myself. <laughs>
0: You know, I wanted to come up with a bit in response to that, and I just can't. I can't. It's going to be a
1: couple's costume, like sexy mask and sexy COVID-19. Sexy mask and sexy hand sanitizer. And I hate
0: it. Every joke I come up with in response (laughs) to this is, like, really both, like, not funny and also probably not politically correct. And so uh, I'm just going to stop. I'm not going (laughs) to.
1: That's a good idea. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um well i'm sorry well uh, hopefully our podcast gets you in the in the halloween mood. yeah
1: um actually watching scary movies is a great way to get yeah. ready for halloween
0: i mean i'm a big fan of halloween i think you are too In the yeah. times that we've lived together we we had a very memorable <laughs> shopping trip to target the first year we lived together
1: and 50 bucks on Halloween decorations yeah
0: I also had no money and was like I'll get you back later we just (laughs) we gotta do it up man it was worth it my favorite well I I currently am still in possession of this but my favorite purchase that came out of that was uh infamous to us not to anyone listening but a Ouija board tray like serving. Yeah,
1: dinner. we splurged on that.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. It's like black and it's got like orange paint writing on it. It's it's wonderful.
1: It's very aesthetic.
0: It is very aesthetic. Um last year too our apartment looked very I I spent a lot of time decorating it last year and we brought in some extra Halloween decorations. We we just had decorations everywhere. It was quite wonderful. Yeah. Um well that's great i mean it's great that we have this this like mission that helps us get in the halloween mood in spite it's true. of everything happening yeah
1: What what are you doing to prepare for halloween
0: um i have decorated um and i'm watching the movies i uh really recently like warmed up to horror and actually uh, i wanted to talk about our relationships to horror in a little bit um so it's just a little 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 taste um but uh so i've been i've been starting to try to watch more uh horror movies lately uh i watched the 2018 Suspiria. ooh which uh i i quite liked um, i've
1: never seen it
0: i think you would like it too um there's there's some bits in it that are i'm like all right a little little heavy here but Mm. for the most part it's very cool very great body horror um very memorable and you know what good for dakota johnson i think here we stand, uh actors who've gotten a bad rap from starring in either something that is twilight or twilight adjacent (laughs) um and so you know good for dakota johnson
1: yeah i'm glad I'm glad she's she's our she's a queen. You know that from the Ellen clip when she pretty much beheads decapitates Ellen on stage. Whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, that's not this episode, Stefan. It's our next one, hint hint.
1: Um Oh shit. I just I had to put that together. And I'm like, is Ellen in hereditary? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Where is she in that?
0: Ellen is the mom <laughs> in
1: hereditary. Oh shit. I thought it was Tony Collette, but clearly no, it's <laughs> Ellen playing Tony Collette. It's
0: Ellen in a wig. Wow. <laughs> I know. Who knew Ellen had it in her? Um, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more about that at the end of the episode. But yes, um, we stand, Dakota Johnson. And uh, also, my uh, anniversary with my boyfriend Joe, who you heard in our Blue Velvet episode, it is Halloween. That was our first date, um, it was on Halloween, which I cherish forever. And makes not be able to go out on Halloween even sadder. But uh, I'll probably put some costume together because I like putting spooky makeup on. And we'll watch continue to watch horror movies and eat Reese's pumpkins. Yeah. Um, um,
1: also, that's significant because it marks the anniversary of when I met Cho soon after Halloween.
0: I was going to say, I don't think you were there <laughs> that night. No, I
1: wasn't there that night. But I mean, I was around in the next month or so when he came to our apartment and I fell in love with him.
0: <laughs> that's the plot to our horror movie that's uh, why
1: I basically I just I wanted to live with you so I could take over your life and murder you <laughs> and become you
0: isn't that like a movie like the roommate it is or the roommate. <laughs> What a great transition That's good so let's talk about this is going to be i think a lot of why this movie got praised is related to uh the state of horror movies and before we talk about the state of horror movies i think we need to talk about our respective relationship to horror film, yeah. the horror in film um so you know as i kind of hinted at earlier i am a noob when it comes to horror um I was very much a very much a scaredy cat growing up. Had a deep-seated fear of the Chucky doll for at least a decade. Just like for just, real? No, the yeah, Chucky yeah. Doll? Yeah. yeah. I have no problem with it now. Um but yeah, I had an aversion to horror. I do not like to be scared. And what I've learned recently is I do like dread and I like um I like when things are fucked up in a movie. I really like gore. I like body horror. It's it's really purely the jump scare I can't stand. Like the um, adrenaline. Yeah, I don't Primal like the adrenaline. Response. Like I'm not, I'm not like a, a roller coaster person. I hate that feeling. Um, and I hate waiting just for something to pop out at me. I would rather wait to see like what kind of fucked up thing is gonna happen. Mm. Not it's like a, I would rather wait for what's gonna happen, not when's it gonna happen. That shit. You got to. So, um, but I, I always was really fascinated by horror movies, and like would kind of want to read what fucked up shit happened, but didn't want to endure being in a movie theater being scared. So then I started getting in this habit in high school where I would like. As I was going to bed, I would think of like horror movies I kind of wanted to see, but was too chicken shit to see. And then I would read their Wikipedia synopsis and create the image in my head and like get scared that way. And I was really into that, but I didn't want to like sit through a jump scare. And so as I got as I got older, I was like, Oh, I think I like love horror movies. I just (laughs) want to have a jump scare and so uh, in the last couple of years I've been like oh what, what movies aren't jump scare heavy there's this great site called where's the jump where uh, users can contribute time code so like I don't even have to spoil a movie for myself necessarily to be prepared for like yeah if a jump is gonna happen and then like other than that just sailing free and i'm like all right give me some fucked up shit and that's super cool a lot of it came with uh i fell in love with the movie midsummer last year um i read the script because i thought maybe it was gonna scare the shit out of me and i did the same thing i do with like a wikipedia article so i read the script instead when it got um leaked ahead of the movie release and i was like no, I actually really need to see this movie. This movie sounds fucking great. Yeah, and
1: we saw it together.
0: We did see it together, and uh, you can attest to how much I don't like jump scares because I refuse to be in the movie theater for the trailers because I, <laughs> I was like, I don't want these to scare me. I just want to see. I just want to see the the Swedish body whore. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and now I'm like, I've embrace that i think i really love horror movies and so now i'm going on a journey of like watching a lot of them just not like the hacky like the ones that are jump scare heavy are kind of hacky anyway so yeah that's true um so that was my long-winded history what's your history with horror movies um
1: i love horror horror is my favorite genre of all time um i started watching horror at a really really young age i remember watching the ring with an older friend when i was like eight. Oh no! (laughs) it like really, really, really terrifying me. And it still kind of terrifies me. And I feel a little traumatized by it still, but like in the best way possible. Um, So yeah, I remember watching Final Destination really young. I remember watching Saw really young. To me, it's the best genre because it's the hardest to get right. Mm. And you can see that um, I feel because there's a lot of evidence of people getting it wrong. Um, And we get a lot of that. I think most of horror is bad um, and pretty mediocre at best. But then every (laughs) once in a while you get a good one and you're like, this reminds me why I love this genre so much. Um, My problem with horror in general is that it's derivative. You can tell what's coming. You know what's coming. Films usually have little self-awareness that they're all the same. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's like Blumhouse horror. Blumhouse production company just throws money at anything that might be okay and then it does really well because it's a horror movie but they're well and not. and
0: they don't throw a lot of money their budgets are notoriously yeah. very small so they're almost so it's like profitable.
1: low risk yeah. high reward yeah. yeah and usually it's not great sometimes you get get out from it but mm-hmm. most or of the time
0: whiplash they also made whiplash which i always find really funny <laughs>
1: The La La Land guy Whiplash? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a
0: Blumhouse movie. I didn't know
1: that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but most of the time you get Truth or Dare or Annabelle comes home or some. Fantasy shit.
0: Island. That was the Fantasy one Fantasy Island. So yeah.
1: when, when horror is done right, like with this film, this is one of the last horror films I really remember me thinking this is a great horror film I'm genuinely enthralled and surprised by this and that's why I suggested it for
0: yeah this was your suggestion
1: yeah I remember reading about this movie on a lot of like top horror movies of the modern age or top horror movies of the past few Mm -hmm. decades or whatever so I just thought this would be a good little indie darling to deconstruct
0: no, this was a great suggestion. I think the pairing, you know, we already kind of hinted our, the next movie we're going to be doing uh, this month is Hereditary and I think like those two movies really go hand in hand with like a narrative of kind of where horror has been going in the last five years. Yeah. So you and I Have different feelings I think about it follows than we do about hereditary, and our hereditary feelings also might be controversial. So just a little teaser for next hot takes.
1: Look Um, forward to many hot takes to come.
0: Yes, which is good because I think we've liked too many of the movies we've done for this podcast.
1: (laughs) But no, we got all the hate out on Joker, and yeah, we owed some like. (laughs) Um,
0: so yeah, um, you know what I was just like thinking about too because actually uh i love that we're doing this because a lot of the early horror movies i have seen have actually been with you um Mm. i think that has contributed to like my slow recognition that maybe i like horror and like i said the first time i saw blair witch project was in that high school film class we were in and that's a movie that i think you and i both love and defend because it gets a lot of hate yeah i
1: still actively defend blair witch project i do too or like it's boring
0: that ending though and i think that was the moment where i was like oh when when horror makes me feel dread like i feel dread but i'm not Uh, waiting for something to pop out at me it's like a dread of like of like really dark things happening rather than like spooky face that last that last shot in blair witch is like the epitome of that
1: yeah it's great um
0: which I feel with a shot in this movie that I think we'll talk about a little bit
1: later. Um,
0: So yeah, what was, what was your first impression going into this movie?
1: Um, I watched this movie right after it came out of theaters onto digital and on demand. Um, And I watched it right after unfriended (laughs) the movie that's based on Skype Where some hot teenage friends are in a Skype call, and a spirit of a girl who killed, yeah, (laughs) in horror movies they're always hot. That's the appeal. Um, Hot teenage friends who a spirit of a girl they knew who killed herself from being bullied uh, comes into their Skype and starts killing them. Um, Interesting idea. Horrible execution. Again, just really schlocky and mediocre and derivative and awful. Generally, so this was quite the bump after that and i just love everything about this movie its original simple premise was really terrifying in itself to me Mm -hmm. um the cinematography is fucking
0: so gorgeous
1: it's so good it's it blows my mind how good this little shoestring budget how good the camera work and the set design and the colors and it's like a photography film person's it's like the Wes Anderson of horror films. It really is. Some of these shots, um, and the actors are great. The plot is really interesting. There's some. It's quirky. Um, <laughs>
0: They're quirky.
1: it's quirky. I
0: have a seashell reader. <laughs>
1: <Quirky>. <laughs> yeah, it's got a cool, like modern vintage aesthetic going on, kind of a la Twin Peaks, a little mm-hmm. bit, and. It's just such a breath of fresh air based on everything before this. Not everything, but a lot of stuff, a lot of horror that had been coming out
0: Mm -hmm. in
1: those recent years was just terrible.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. And as we get into the conversation about our thoughts and feelings about this movie, I think it's interesting because I can already tell our... History with horror movies also has an impact on how successful this movie is mm-hmm. um, to us um, because i don't I do really like this movie i don 't think I like it as much as you and but I also don 't have this history of like oh i 've watched so many shitty horror movies, yeah, and this came in and was a breath of fresh air, so when this movie came out two thousand and fifteen I was in college, and I was still. This was also a heavy like going to the movies time for me this mm. was like early movie pass where it was like yeah charge early
1: it, movie Pass, yeah.
0: <laughs> where you could watch as many fucking movies as you wanted and uh, uh to
1: quote edith bunker
0: those
1: <laughs> were the days <laughs> we we're so much you're so much more innocent back then. Uh, uh,
0: I was like a, I was like an early MoviePass user, and uh, I
1: Obama know. was president. <laughs> There's simpler times.
0: Oh God. Um. So, uh, I this movie was on my radar because I was I was really uh up with movies that were coming out, mm. and I wanted to see it. This was like one of the movies that almost got me in the theater to see a mo- uh, like a horror movie. And I just wasn't there yet. I just wasn't there where I could like be like, all right, I'm gonna risk it. I'm gonna risk like getting scared with yeah. a bunch of other people who I don't know. And so I ended up skipping out on it. Um, I think I read the Wikipedia synopsis, although I didn't remember, thankfully like I didn't remember any of those plot details um but i think i was like oh this sounds cool this seems like it's really atmospheric though and i'm missing out on a lot by not seeing the movie itself um yeah i was very aware of the hype around it and that like people said this was uh like a really really good horror movie and then i was also aware that like it have this bump of hype and then like immediately i had people who were like this movie fucking sucks i don't mm. get what the hype around it is it was actually very similar to the blair witch kind of debates which is like either like this movie is original and fresh or this movie was boring it didn't scare me at all and so like i took in all of this discourse around the movie and was like one day i'm gonna see it <laughs>
1: I'm going to have things to say about this. And then this. I'm going to
0: participate in the conversation. <laughs> and now it is 2020. And I've seen it twice now. I'll watch it twice for this podcast. And uh, generally, I really like this movie. And my opinion is when it is brilliant, it is some of the most brilliant filmmaking I've ever seen. Yeah. And that saves a lot of the things that don't work for me. Mm-hmm um which there are a few and we'll get into it um but before we do let's let's talk about should we should we get into the cold hard facts
1: um, um. uh,
0: that's for
1: me later too
0: yeah maybe <laughs> i'll do a
1: cool echo effect
0: oh um, yeah you've got to like distort it be like yeah blah,
1: blah. <laughs> Spooky. It's an SVU episode. It's so spooky.
0: <laughs> oh, this really is an SVU <laughs> episode. Sex crimes. Um, so it follows 2015. Uh it's actually technically a 2014 movie. It did not have a proper release though until 2015, about a whole year after it premiered at Cannes Film Festival. Uh, As you mentioned, shoestring budget. This movie was made for $2 million, just $2 million. It made $23.3 million at the box office. In the scheme of things, not necessarily a lot of money for that budget, for the fact that this was distributed, knowing it was going to have a niche audience. Very funny. This movie was distributed by um, a now defunct department of the Weinstein Company. Yay! (laughs) Yay! That's where I'm gonna
1: put the prices right, Horn. I think.
0: (laughs) Um, But that um, that like subset of uh, the Weinstein Company was specifically for movies that were going to be aimed for niche markets to have like a limited release simultaneously with video on demand, Mm -hmm. and so. $23.3 $23.3 million on a $2 million budget. Really good for this movie.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and when it came out, it got glowing reviews. And like you said, it was called a refreshing movie in the horror genre. So let's kind of break down what was going on with horror movies in this decade. You know, the 2010s, really good decade for movies, actually. We don't yeah. even need to get into that because there's like tons of listicles and podcasts and whatever that came out at the end of last year talking about how good of a decade 2010s were for movies and television um but horror wasn't necessarily part of that wave of good movies we saw a lot more of like indie movies and and art house movies and dramas and comedies but we didn't see a lot of good horror some examples i'm going to go through uh the years leading up to 2015 so in 2010 we've got a couple uh either we might not necessarily think they're good and you'll be able to speak more to that but uh at least well-reviewed movies like black swan and insidious and then we uh have uh piranha 3d saw 3d (laughs) paranormal activity 2 resident evil afterlife nightmare and elm street reboot let the right one in the u.s remake i spit on your grave remake the crazies remake 2011 we've got your next oh i love your next considered a very good movie and then we have fright night remake don't be afraid of the dark remake final destination five Hostel <laughs> three human centipede two paranormal activity three Screams uh, i'm noticing four, a trend <laughs> shark night 3d the thing remake 2012 we've got a we're starting to get a few more that are like well reviewed and people are saying are like really good like sinister vhs yeah, it's okay the ABCs of Death, a couple of anthologies there, and Cabin in the Woods. And then you have Dark Shadows, Reboot, Maniac, Remake, Prometheus, <laughs> Alien Prequel, Paranormal Activity 4, <laughs> REC 3, Silent Hill Revelation 3D, oh, God. this weird trend of 3Ds in the early 2010s. That movie
1: is such trash, and it's sad, because the first one's actually okay.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and then 2000- a really
1: good video game
0: yeah sorry (laughs) stop doing that (laughs) yeah they should then 2013 you have the conjuring uh another movie that people thought were, were, was pretty good, Willow Creek, uh-huh. which was kind of an indie one that's uh, got a cult following. And you have the Evil Dead remake, the Carrie remake, Curse of Chucky, Fright Night 2, I Spit on Your Grave 2, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw 3D, VHS, which was regarded as a good movie, but now it's in the sequel. You know, too. yeah, 2014 now is where we start to see some more improvement, and I think we've got three really notable entries into this later um category of horror which is you've got the babadook Hmm. you've got creep the found footage mark duplass movie and you have um i believe it's the iranian movie a girl walks home alone that night
1: yeah i've actually never seen that but i've really wanted to
0: i really want to too we should watch it this month just for fun Just for funsies. Yeah, Uh, just for
1: us, because we deserve it.
0: That's on my list. Um, I have the score, though, on uh, Vinyl, because I heard it was really good. (laughs) Have you listened to it? Not yet. Um, I just like to collect movie scores on Vinyl. Anyway, I'm pretentious. Um, uh, There's a
1: ukulele, too. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And then, again, um, we have a couple of movies, Conjuring and ABCs of Death, may be considered good but now they're getting sequels and prequels with Annabelle and the ABC's of Death 2 we have some other we have a couple of original movies but not necessarily so well regarded like As Above So Below and Oculus and then you have Purge Anarchy Paranormal Activity The Marked Ones REC 4 Sharknado 2 <laughs> and uh, Kevin James's Tusk which no one ever wants to talk about because uh, it's pretty fucked up um and then 2015 the movie that or the year that it follows is officially released uh we we see a couple more that are kind of notable uh the black coat's daughter a little divisive but uh, an original premise from a24 um crimson peak again kind of divisive Mm. uh the invitation which is a movie that's pretty good
1: karen kusama
0: yeah we i like her uh You've got Krampus, which I don't think people remember, but I think people liked. What
1: I remember were... that cuz I did a project about yeah. it in graphic design class.
0: <laughs> um you also have The vvitch which I know you hate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Vivitch. <laughs> yeah, The Vivitch did not capture. No. Did not capture me.
0: But it is well regarded. It's, well-regarded. it's yes. a well regarded movie. It was well made um i have not seen that i don't care for the lighthouse anyway and then we have another paranormal activity sequel a poltergeist reboot sinister two, the woman in black two. um so you can see the trend for most of the 2010s i mean this has always been true of horror obviously because we've got a billion friday the 13ths and whatnot but uh it's just not only is there no originality, but we start to see formulaic filmmaking too. That there's just no, you can't differentiate these movies from each other. Am I correct in saying that? I mean, you've probably seen more of them than me.
1: No, yeah, for sure. They're they're very interchangeable besides from... Yeah. minor plot details.
0: And we see even the ones that are like good. Like for instance, I actually really like the paranormal. Actually, I like the first 3 paranormal activities. Yeah. Um but like every even the ones that are regarded as good, you can tell it didn't even need to go to the theaters yet because we're getting these sequels like the next year. Yeah. These are just getting churned out. But then the later half of this decade after, you know, this year where we get it follows and then you've got movies like get out happy death day raw train to busan don't breathe hush suspiria a quiet place cam mandy annihilation the it movies which you know there are different opinions about but i think people thought were really well done yeah uh midsummer ready or not us we're seeing movies that are not just original premises but also have a really distinct directing style that they actually have a visual language to them and how they're built interesting Um, and so i think that's one of the things we're seeing this is also coinciding with the rise and i think you can attribute kind of this Um, elevation of horror movies in the last few years uh the rise of streaming you'll even notice like uh streamers like hulu have like these deals where they're they're churning out a lot of original horror content it's not necessarily good but that's something that they're focusing on and again like blumhouse it might be because you can make them for a really low budget yeah and we're also see in the later half of the 2010s uh, three really notable distribution companies, all of whom tend to make a lot of horror or thriller movies Neon, A24, and Blumhouse, Rise. So we're seeing all of this kind of happen at the same time. And that's why we're getting, yeah, we are getting like also Fantasy Islands and, you know, um, A Quiet Place too, which I'm, it, may, it may be good, but, uh, you know, we're still getting our sequels. But we are still getting things with like original ideas, more distinct styles. Um, because we have all of this new access
1: Yeah, more more directors have access to platforms mm-hmm. they wouldn't have had before
0: Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of new ones I mean, like Ari Aster and Jordan Peele, for example Only two movies in, and, and those guys like are, are horrid darlings right yeah. now um, we're also seeing an increase in horror television in the last decade. American Horror Story, The Walking Dead, Stranger Things, Hannibal, favorite of mine, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Castle Rock, Grimm, Bates Motel, Penny Dreadful, Hemlock Grove. So We're starting to see like a lot of experimentation with like where the horror genre can go, and that is where it follows, finds itself right at this mid mid decade kind of turn where we're like, okay where is horror moving in a filmmaking sense so uh that's kind of just the little dissection i wanted to do um because i think that's really interesting and i think you know you noted this movie you really love this movie because it feels like a breath of fresh air and it's like
1: a symbolic turning point
0: Yeah, you can literally see it might not be with It Follows specifically, but with kind of the time that It Follows comes and It Follows does have a distinct premise and a distinct style that it's right at this point where we're starting to say, okay, we don't necessarily need to do uh, Paranormal Activity 12, but we can maybe start to invest in some like indie horror movie premises and we have all of these VOD and streaming options we don't we're not just worried about movie theater revenue and I think horror really has brought in some of that streaming revenue you know you turn the lights off you get your popcorn ready people there are a lot of folks like you who've watched horror their whole lives you know and that's yeah that's it's really accessible I love it uh Yeah. I mean, before we move on to just some of the technical aspects of the movie, uh, is there anything else you want to say about kind of like this new era of horror and where It Follows fits into all of that?
1: Um, This period was really where I was getting into horror and really um, maturing with horror. So it's kind of interesting that as It Follows is coming out and you're getting this more mature, more distinct style of horror. I was also kind of growing up with that and maturing with that as well. So maybe that has to do with the generation as well of directors.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly certainly you could say we're at a ripe age. Like, you know, we've talked about filmmakers like David Lynch and David Fincher. I would say like, I love their work, but those are like, those directors belong to like gen x you know yeah like those directors came came to their own came to popularity right when gen x was like our age and if you're a person getting into movies developing your taste that's when those folks hit so yeah to have you know we're we're like gen z millennial cuspers mm. but like technically millennials. I just want to be clear about that. We are millennials. <laughs> yes. Um, in the
1: definition we are defined. We do
0: not tick No,
1: unfortunately. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, I mean, these things, I mean, maybe that's why I always was attracted to like these horror movies is because I could tell, especially when I was in college and some of these were coming out, I was like, man, I really want to like, I really want to engage in this and this new, in this filmmaking that's happening yeah. right now.
1: It feels like a genre aimed and for young people.
0: It always has been. I mean, it's always populated with teens. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've never really thought about that. But with this movie especially, which I'm going to argue is a coming of age movie as well. Yeah. Um. Or at least a reflection on Completely. coming of age. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's really influential. <sighs>
1: It's, it's interesting because not only does horror reflect the fears of society at any given time, it reflects kind of a generational, the fears of a generation.
0: It does. And, um, and
1: in the age of where It Follows came out, you're kind of getting the rise of like Tinder and online dating apps and matchmaking and yeah. Uber. And kind of a culture where you trust people maybe a bit more especially online than you did before
0: that is really interesting i'm really hmm. yeah because i joined tinder fall of 2014 um I was in the early ages of Tinder, but yeah, yeah I was remember, around the time.
1: I remember my friend in my freshman year of college told me about Tinder. It's like this wild mm-hmm. new thing, I, <laughs> which uh, is weird to think about now. But.
0: Yeah, I mean, this movie would have come out shortly. I mean, <laughs> fun information for our listeners, but like shortly after, like I lost my virginity, you know, because yeah. that's something you lose. It's an object that yeah. you give to someone.
1: You actually have, like, a card, an actual card you carry with you. Yeah.
0: I actually carry a magnifying glass, so I can hopefully someday find it again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did you, like, would it be on the ground somewhere, like, in the gutter? Yeah, I was
0: like, I must have dropped it. Same. Um oh man well you know what? we're right on the precipice of really getting into the weeds with this movie so i'm just gonna blow through uh some of the other technical things about this movie the summation of it is pretty much everyone who works on this movie is an unknown which both speaks to the budget and also to the fact that the reason people latched on to this movie had nothing to do with names attached to it and had everything to do with how it was made and when it mm-hmm. came out um so your two leads, uh, Micah Monroe, who plays Jay. She's been in a couple of other indie horrors. She has been deemed a screen queen. Uh, she was in the Guest and last year's comedy thriller Villains, mm. and uh, a few other indie movies. Uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but Kale Keel, Kale, Kale McLaughlin, <laughs> um, who's probably the, I guess, the most notable actor in this movie he's the lead and it's kind of a funny story which if anyone um, remembers that movie who, um, which, and he's also he in the show Atypical on Netflix who does he play um,
1: in the It Follows in the movie
0: uh, he's uh, Paul
1: oh okay cool yeah, yeah
0: yeah sorry no that's cool Um fun fact he's also the lead singer of a grindcore band
1: <laughs> oh shit you would um, not think that no
0: <laughs> you would not <laughs> Um, and uh, him and Micah Monroe are going to be in the upcoming movie, The Education of Frederick Fritzel. Oh. Um, but that's kind of it. Most of the rest of the cast, they've done some indie movies, re- like really indie movies, and
1: uh, um, Greg, the actor who played Greg, was in Victorious. No, actually, he was
0: not! <laughs>
1: starring role?
0: Oh my god! Um, and they 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 have done a lot of television, just not Victorious. Um, but Tell we don't have that any that. <sighs> <laughs> we don't have any recognizable names uh David Robert Mitchell. this is only his second movie um His first one, The Myth of the American Sleepover was like got some buzz, some moderately decent reviews um but uh this was really like low budget. Uh, taking a decent chance on him and then he got to make another movie uh, that was a little bit more of a high budget through A24 uh, starring Robert Pattinson or no not Robert Pattinson Andrew Garfield I'm sorry oh. um, called Under the Silver Lake which uh did not it's got very mixed reviews mm. uh, and is not a horror movie it's like a neo-noir movie Um, so this is yeah this is like he's not a name this is very low budget um Even the score, and the I want to talk about the score and the cinematographer just because those are two of the stars of this movie, yeah. honestly, but neither of these are like these are really early career folks. Disaster piece is the name of the the solo artist who did the score for the movie. Not a household name. He was making music like on his own for about a decade before this um and he scored a lot of indie video games but this is like the only movie he's really scored Mm. um and then the director of photography mike gilakis uh had only done one like not like one movie as a cinematographer that wasn't like incredibly diy indie uh, he did the movie John Dies at the End, which mm. I think has some sort of cult following. Yeah. Um. But since this movie, he has worked with Mitchell again on Under the Silver Lake and did a Glass and Split with M Night Shyamalan. Is going to wow. do the next M Night Shyamalan movie. So like this movie helped break him in. Um, yeah, I have yeah. a fun
1: fact about him. Should I wait to share it? Are we going to talk more about the cinematography later?
0: I would share it now. I think this is the best time.
1: Right. Okay. So um, while making this movie, um, cinematographer Mike Gilakis spoke with the director about visual references they wanted to invoke for It Follows, and the films included those of John Carpenter, the films Paris, Texas, Blue Velvet in Rear Window, and the photography of Gregory Crudson who is one of my all-time favorite photographers. Oh, really? Um, He's a really cool cinematic surrealist photographer. Um, I would go check out his stuff if you have a minute. It's called Beneath the Roses, is a mission that I kind of learned about in college. Um, Mm. And he really kind of inspired me to pick up photography as more than a one-time class.
0: Incredible. Yeah. Um, So
1: no wonder I I have such a boner for this movie. Like, it is literally made... Cinematography-wise, and all the things that I love.
0: Well, what a great transition. So we got to get to our first ad break, but um, when, we're, when we come back from talking about uh, 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 Psychos, uh, we're going to get really into this movie and really start to dissect it. And we're going to first talk about the atmosphere of this movie because um, there is a lot of atmosphere, and we'll get into the way it's filmed and what it's trying to achieve. Uh, and then we will try to answer the question. What exactly the it of it follows is so stick around. And uh, before we get back into it. Here's a little word about psychus.
1: Don't you hate it when you have sex and no one told you that you could possibly get gonorrhea, herpes, or a deadly shapeshift monster that will follow you for the rest of your life until it can murder you in the most horrific way and then fuck your dead body? Well, for those reasons and many more, we want to tell you about Psychus, Sex Ed for Social Change, an organization that not only fights for nationwide comprehensive sexual education, but who also views sexual education as a vehicle for social change. They advocates for the rights of all people to accurate information, comprehensive sexuality education, and the full spectrum of sexual and reproductive health services. PSYCHIS applies an intersectional lens to ensure people's real life experiences inform their policy, education, and strategic communications work. We encourage you to support and donate to PSYCHUS. You can learn more about them at PSYCHUS, that's S-I-E-C-U-S.org. Again, that is S-I-E-C-U-S.org. Additionally, for every listen, we'll donate $2 up to a total of $50 to PSYCHUS and their efforts to make sure sexual health education and resources are accessible and intersectional for all. And with that, let's get into It Follows. We're going to find out what it is. We're going to explore that sexy, sexy atmosphere. And we're just going to get so horrific and scary and sexy and scary, sexy, scary. Oh, my God. Let's do it.
0: Is that an Edward Scissorhands sex doll? What? Oh. Anyway, we should probably do the episode. Oh) uh, no. <laughs>
1: No. We should do a live react to Edward penis hands.
0: Um, instead of the rest of the episode. See that. My question is, are they floppy and then they get erect or are they always erect?
1: They're probably always erect because he clearly doesn't know how to direct a movie.
0: <laughs> You're so mad that there's only one penis per hand. <laughs>
1: no. Oh, and he tries to eat spaghetti with his penis hands. At one point (laughs) from the screenshot I'm seeing.
0: You can't see it right now, listeners, but um, I'm I'm imitating twisting um, (laughs) spaghetti with my penis hands. Um, I I
1: was so excited about this movie, and I was going to watch it right after the podcast, actually, (laughs) but no, I'm not. No, I'm not.
0: Well... Can we finish talking about spit swallows? Yeah. Um, It follows is, oh my God, I completely lost the thread.
1: (laughs) Um, We were going to talk about how it was educational and it um, it was a big fan inspired by Todd Phillips'
0: work. Okay, well, now for all of this, you have to introduce the second half of the episode.
1: Welcome back! We're talking about the 2015 indie darling horror film.
0: It Swallows.
1: No. It's It Swallows that you stole. You put one giant penis over my five penis per hand. Beautiful, beautiful creation. It's called Nuance, Daniela, And we're back! Talking about David Robert Mitchell's 2015 horror indie smash success genre defining, redefining possibly, It Follows. So the first thing you can notice uh, when you watch It Follows is the atmosphere, the the style, the visual language. Yes. Um, And this really starts in the opening shot. I mean, or the opening sequence, I'm going to argue,
0: mm-hmm. with
1: the girl who is running away f- seemingly from nothing.
0: I think Annie is her name.
1: Annie. It's Hugh's girlfriend,
0: you oh. later found out. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, she's running. There's a girl we don't know. She's running on a suburban street from something. Um, she gets into a car and runs away. She's wearing... Like kind of like a a nightgown, like pajamas and red high heels, which is interesting. Um, I don't know what from a storytelling perspective that says, but it's, it's a really visually interesting shot. And then you get, she drives to the beach and it cuts to the next morning where her legs are bent. She's like laying down on her side and her legs are bent, like where her legs are broken and are pointed towards her head. Yeah. Bent up. It's really, it's really disturbing. It's a really disturbing shot in general. And the way that's what the film opens on and kind of, it's not over the top or anything really. It's not like, I don't think the intent is to be really gory for the hell of it. Mm -mm. It's kind of a shocking thing, how disturbing it is. It's hard to describe
0: yeah. what exactly
1: makes the shot so disturbing to me.
0: Well, so, David Robert Mitchell, when talking about his inspiration for this movie, and I think this this is like the perfect summation of where all of the style that goes into this movie comes from, and I think it's what it does the fucking best, which is he basically wanted this movie to feel like a nightmare. Not a nightmare like um the year 2020 where you're like, God, what a fucking nightmare. But a nightmare is in like an actual dream that you would have, where like what what would like something horrific feel like in a dream? Yeah. And I think just the premise itself and what you said with this opening, what's so terrifying about this is we don't see the kill. We only see the suspense and we only see the aftermath. And we have to imagine what happened between A and B. True. In the same way that Jay has no idea how this thing is going to kill her. She doesn't know what it's going to look like. All of the horror of this concept is the, of what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is why that premise is so horrifying in real life. You don't know if the person behind you is following you. Yeah, uh, you don't know if the person behind you is just like there to be there. Um, you don't, you know this this idea that you could be killed any moment is gives a lot of like fear and anxiety. It's and a dread. really
1: primal. Yeah, kind of and fear. then the
0: idea of like not even knowing how this thing kills, but just seeing the aftermath of having like a a mangled body, of having your body broken. Is, but without seeing how you get there and having to have that in your imagination, like, that's really, like, emblematic of a nightmare.
1: There's no damage to the top half of her. It's all torso and below.
0: hmm
1: Which I feel like, if she was just, like, a puddle, that'd be a little too much. Yeah. But it, like, it rides that line of being, it's so gory and so shocking that it activates your imagination, but you don't immediately write it off as, like, sagor well, it's it's intriguing
0: the, yeah and the other thing that's hor- horrifying about it and i think like it speaks to the monster is that it that's like you don't break someone's leg to kill them it's just like it's it's sadi- sadistic
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's like breaking someone just because you can in the same way that like this monster doesn't seem like it like feeds off of anyone it just seems like it kills because that's what it does That's its sole purpose is to follow you and murder you. And that's what makes it so scary is there's no intention. There's no like, oh, well it's because the spirits were disturbed. (laughs) It is literally just a relentless thing that kills. And that is, and I love that. They never
1: explain it. They never try to explain it either.
0: No. And in fact, what, when they do try to explain things, that's where it kind of falls apart. Um, there's a lot of other things that don't get explained in this movie. For instance, this movie is filled with, like, and you, you talked about this when you were talking about, uh, when you were kind of doing your synopsis of the movie. This movie is filled with anachronisms. Um, it has a very vintage style, like, very reminiscent of, like, eighty slashers movies or, like, late 70s, early 80s slasher movies, like Halloween, ha- mm-hmm. very heavy Halloween influence here. Um the houses look like they could be from the 70s, very suburban, kind of this old furniture. The cars are kind of older, but you can't tell if they're just old cars or they're brand new. Yeah. No one has a distinct style or distinct, like, furnishing that speaks to a time. You have the seashell Kindle mm-hmm. <laughs> that looks like it, like an old-fashioned, like, compact, but is also... Modern technology, but you don't see modern technology anywhere else. They're cord cord phones, um, but also you don't even know what time of year it is, because sometimes she's swimming in a pool,
1: mm. sometimes
0: she's wearing a winter coat. Interesting. Sometimes they're going to school, and it's obviously like early fall in some scenes with the like seasons changing. You have no idea even what time of year it is, and. I actually don't find that frustrating at all. I think that helps build this idea that this could be a dream. Like, this yeah. is how your, your mind creates things. In the same way of, like, we don't see, like, whenever her mom or uh, the main character's mom is in the movie, you never see her face. It's, like, always kind of blurred mm-hmm. out in the same way that sometimes people in dreams are, where, like, you've created a person, they're a character in the dream, but they're not fully visible. Um, so I think this movie, in its small anachronisms, they're like just the right amount where they're noticeable but they're not distracting. You're not like, what fucking year is it? <laughs> um, I think it really gives a sense of like, this is all, like this could all be a creation of the subconscious. And then the way the the way that the camera moves is very dreamy and mm. it like does these full like very slow 360 degree sweeps. The style all speaks to this nightmare and not in a traditional horror movie sense where it's like everything is black and dark and where is the scary monster going to be but it's like these creations and these things that feel slightly off but also based in a reality so where are the parents
1: (laughs) um we see the mom in one scene talking to uh greg's mom Mm -hmm. and i think that's the only time we see her the kids refer to them i don't know if they refer to both parents but they refer to the mom a lot that she works an early job mm-hmm. um, so it's assumed that she's gone a lot um one of the things that's really interesting about this movie is the setting it takes place in suburban detroit right which i think is where the director's from and i think he bases most of his movies there um it's this really interesting it's kind of a rundown Suburb, we, we get that feeling that these kids are kind of on their own because their parents are working all the time and aren't the most attached. There's a scene later in the film where they start talking about, like, the line dividing the suburbs mm-hmm. and the city. Yeah. That kind of comes out of nowhere. <laughs>
0: Eight but, mile.
1: <laughs> yeah. And they don't refer to it again. I guess they do refer to it, kind of. They imply it with the prostitutes.
0: This is a retransition. I want to pose the question what is the it of it follows? Because I want to talk about what is this movie actually about? Because there are. What is
1: it trying to say?
0: Because as you mentioned, so there's like that line where Yara is like. When I was a little girl, my parents wouldn't allow me to go south of 8 Mile. And I didn't even know what that meant until I got a little older and I started realizing that that's where the city started and the suburbs ended. And I used to think about how shitty and weird that was. I mean, I had to ask permission to go to the state fair with my best friend and her parents only because there's a few blocks past the border. My mom said the same thing. And uh, (laughs) you and I were both like, what? (laughs) Where did that come from? And there are a lot of moments, like the first time you watch this movie, where you're like, Yara's like reading passages from the book of the idiot by uh, Dostoevsky, Um, and you're like, Uh, okay (laughs) what jay has this whole monologue right before like right after she has sex with hugh where she's talking about imagining what it'd be like to grow up like there are all of these like very like for a movie that's actually not very dialogue heavy when the dialogue is there it is very heavy-handed i guess Mm -hmm. i can't think of a better word i don't know if that necessarily captures the way you feel hearing it it's very clear that this movie is about something beyond just a monster coming after you and when we're talking about this parents this movie kind of reminds me of the premise of the other it, it in the sense of like you have this group of kids sort of who are in the suburb trying to attack or trying to like get rid of the monster so all of that to say <laughs> it's kind of a long winded preface what do you think that it of it follows is?
1: Well, the thing that immediately comes to mind in a literal sense is it is death. Mm-hmm. It is always behind you in some way, it's always present, it could happen, could catch up to you at any time, and we're always kind of running away from it. Um, it mainly appears after an event which you might say would cross you over the line from innocent youth to kind of knowing adulthood Um, it reminds we were talking about this it reminds me of the poetry of um, William Blake Mm -hmm. who's a romantic poet whose main works or most known works are about um, people crossing over from innocence as kind of a literal place to um, knowledge and being corrupted
0: Mm -hmm. that
1: and never being able to go back So once it is after you, and once you've kind of gained that, um, you're running from it for the rest of your life. In that sense, it's always following you. That's kind of what my first thoughts were on what it is.
0: Yeah, I really like that. And I think like crossing that threshold, I remember like when we first watched it together, which was the first time I'd watched it, period. Thinking about the way that these The central group of characters Was characterized was really strange At first I was like What age are they supposed yeah. to be Are they still Are are some of them still in high school Or are they all college aged There's that part at the beginning Where Yara like makes a fart joke And you're <laughs> like This is kind of childish
1: But you're like hey it's you
0: Yeah Paul, like, Hey it's
1: you Stefan
0: Yeah yeah <laughs> everyone like is is very like childlike and even like the meals like for instance when they go to hugh's house who oh that's (laughs)
1: interesting there are a lot of shots of food
0: a lot of shots of food and they're like chicken tenders or like sandwiches with doritos or like juice boxes
1: ice cream with sprinkles in it, ice
0: cream with sprinkles yeah uh jay's sister works at an ice cream place with paul um yeah, Hugh and Jeff's mom gives them straws and juice boxes. And so there's this sense of childhood, even when, um, when they have the sleepover, which is also this thing. They have these sleepovers um, and uh, the monster breaks into the place. The first place that Jay runs to is a, is a playground and she's mm-hmm. at the swing set when her friends find her. And I remember even saying to you every time that they like try to get away from the monster, I'm like, man, I miss when we just took like random drives with our friends. And like yeah. that is a very heist school- And then high that's school- in
1: Jay's monologue.
0: Yeah. And they're like, like
1: we were driving places, but we wouldn't really go anywhere.
0: <laughs> and they keep having these talks about when they were when they were young, but they also don't like seem fully like they've left that phase. Yeah. Yeah, she says, it's funny. We used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates, to have around with friends in their cars.
1: I had this image of myself holding hands with a really cute
0: guy, listening to the radio, driving along some pretty road, up north maybe. And the trees start to change colors. it's never about going anywhere really it's
1: having some sort of freedom i guess now that we're old enough
0: the hell do we go and then there's a later quote when she's talking to greg um who is the guy who is um across the street from them and uh she went to high school with him and it also, she, he's at the community college with her. And he says to her, It sucks sticking around when everyone has gone home, doesn't it? And mm. uh, I was like thinking about that. And I was like, First of all, I was like, Wait, who's going home? Yeah. Because <laughs> you seem like you're not in, your in your
1: town. Yeah. And then
0: I was like, Oh, it's more of like the fact that they haven't left their hometown and the people from their school like go go somewhere else and they're tethered to this place and so um there are all these illusions like still being stuck in that age where you're in high school and even when she goes on this first date like her date outfit isn't is like a very like pink dress her bra straps Hmm. are like popping out she's like parting her hair in a way that's like very like high school she's got a seashell necklace on you know it's like it's all it's all like super high school but they're yearning to be these adults her sister smokes secretly they're like drinking on the porch while playing old maid i think (laughs) (laughs) and it really is like this thing of like being at odds of like childhood and adulthood and like sex seems to be that threshold yeah. And I I I'm still not sure if like if like the it and its relationship to sex even has anything to do with sex or if it's more like death, like you were saying, or even just like <sighs> I guess the loss of freedom that comes with growing up mm. because she says like that's what she wanted when she imagined growing up was freedom. But you don't have that freedom when this thing is following you. Even if you pass it on to someone else, it's always eventually it's going come to come back to you. And it's this idea, her and Greg have grown up and they haven't left their hometown and they're tethered there. Maybe presumably because of their parents as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And even... I'm going to talk about this first in a positive light and then talk about how I didn't know about this until I read things on the internet. But, uh, the first time we see the monster, it's actually Hugh's mom. Although we don't find that out till later. Mm. And then Greg, when he sees the monster, it's his mom. And at the end, Jay sees it as her dad. And it's also this idea of like the parents often being whenever it is someone they know, a lot of times it's the parents, especially Mm. for the two men it's their mother's, and it's this idea of like, the thing that's ahead of you, also maybe the thing, I mean, Hugh obviously still lives with his mom as well, the thing that's a- tethering you, even as you go into adulthood.
1: I guess that's, that's emphasized even more by the fact that it, it's kind of implied that they're taking care of the parents
0: mm-hmm. a little
1: bit, at least in Jay's case, it's implied that the mom's an alcoholic, um, in one scene, you see like cigarettes and a glass of wine on her wardrobe.
0: She pours alcohol into the coffee when she's talking to Greg's mom. Does she? Yeah.
1: I I did not get that. It's like
0: really brazen. I'm like, oh my god, you're in front of someone.
1: <laughs> so yeah, maybe it's like you're you're tethered to them in that you're taking care of them, but you're tethered to them in that you're almost like destined to become
0: them. Or at least the fear of it. Yeah. Um,
1: because like you could be you could easily be stuck in the same suburb you grew up in living with your parents and just become kind of mm-hmm. take over their lives almost.
0: Yeah. Well and I think like that that line at the end I remember he, so when we first hear Yara's line about going into the city and we're like what is that like a comment on like segregation (laughs) yeah and uh one that's i mean a problem with this movie is it takes place in detroit there is not a single single person of color in sight except greg who i think that actor is um latino um but uh like there's we don't see a single like black person Mm-hmm. Um, but they're making the comment that like kind of implies that like maybe the parents were racist and like don't go to the city, stay in yeah. the suburb. I feel like it wasn't really about like segregation as much as like coming to the realization about like the realities, mm. just like the reality of the world, the reality of your parents, um, of your parents no longer being the guiding star of like mm. saying fucked up shit. Um But But, also the idea that they never got to see this part, or they like rarely got to see this part of the world mm -hmm. just because their parents said that side bad. Um,
1: That reminds me of Blue Velvet and what we talked about with that.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to say like that change over into the city makes me think of like when, I almost said when Dale, oh my God, when Jeffrey,
1: (laughs) (laughs) When Cale McLaughlin...
0: When Dale Cooper, when um, when Jeffrey drives over to the Isabella Rossellini part of town, mm-hmm. um, it made me think of that. Um, so yeah, and I mean, I to me the monster isn't even necessarily death, but it's like this idea that you are even at the beginning he when they're playing the um the trading places game at the movie theater and she's like who would you trade places with and he sees the little kid and he's like i would rather be him he's got his whole life ahead of him mm-hmm. and that's from someone who already has this monster thing after him um it's just this idea of like the time you can't get back and that No matter, like, how far away you try to be from, like, the realities of the world, the realities of growing up, it's always going to follow you, I guess.
1: Even the realities of your life, like, the life you've established, the connections you've made. Like, when you're a little kid, the only connections you have are your parents. But Yeah. You grow up, you have other responsibilities and whatnot that you try to run away from.
0: But... Well, and when they when they like they they attack the monster in like their first kiss spot, you know this moment mm-hmm. of like both like crossing a threshold into maturing, but also like innocence. And they come come there with this very naive, childish plan too. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down these kids are peak. I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Big Britney Spears and Crossroads.
0: Yeah. And then even, even like when she finally has sex with Paul at the end and he says, do you feel any different? And they both like say no very sadly. Even though like, it, it's almost hard to tell if they're talking about, do you feel any different? Like you lost the monster or you gained the monster. Or if they're talking about, do you feel any different? Like has sex brought you any closer to adulthood, to yeah. the understanding of these things. No, like nah, nah, um, and then they both wear white after sex, which is just <laughs> just uh, interesting. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it feels like it feels like the reason sex is in here is not because of STDs although like obviously it is sort of functions like one but it is more of like
1: that feels way too reductive
0: it feels like having your innocence taken from you yeah and especially in the fact that she initially has consensual sex but then it it's essentially turned into non-consensual sex Mm -hmm. because there's an element of it she did not consent to um and this idea of, like, to the piece of her that is lost with that. And she's having this very, like, dreamy reflection that seems like she's maybe moving towards maturing in a natural way. Mm-hmm. and She is thrust into this reality. So. Interesting. And also the monster's often naked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I made a list as I was re-watching it of all of the appearances i caught of the monster and what it looked like um so the first time it's hugh slash jeff's mom when we see it Mm. um there's the girl in the yellow dress but we don't see her yeah and so it's jeff's mom and she's naked uh the second time it's an old woman in a hospital gown in the high school (laughs) The third time, it's the urinating half-naked woman who almost looks like she has, like, meth teeth. So I kind of yeah. she was an addict. Um, the next time, it's the tallest man with no eyes, which is the best moment of the movie. So fucking scary. Yeah. Um, I love that scene.
1: Best jump scare. One of the best jump scares, I think.
0: It's not even a jump, but it is just like
1: a... To me, that's Uh, how jump scares should be done. And there's a tangent, but like a jump scare where there's not a big sound cue. Yeah. Like that makes you notice
0: it. Well, and it's like... No, go ahead. Go
1: ahead. Yeah. It's something that doesn't... It's not like, ooh, look at this. This is scary. Look at it right now. It lets you kind of discover it on your own. Like, the way that scene, he comes in very gradually and unannounced. He he walks in from the hallway. He's not just there behind Yara. Mm-hmm. And that, where you, you have, your brain realizes what ha- what's happening. Mm-hmm. And it it gives, at that time, to panic and be like, oh, shit. Like, that wasn't there before. That's yeah. subversive in, like, the best way.
0: And, like, truly lurking. Like, emerging yeah. from the shadows. Not just there. Yeah like you said, but like emerging from the shadows and like the idea that like Yara can't see this and is that close to her.
1: Oh, I love that. Just Yeah. And we see that too with the, with the it and how it interacts with the environment. It, when it's the old woman in the school, it walks right between two girls who are having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And when Jay is driving away from the cabin. It's walking right behind her friends who are running after her. Mm-hmm. And just the placement of it in those scenes is, <sighs> is so good. And even in the, when Jay and Hugh are at the diner and they're having their date, you can see behind Jay, she leans back and there's a man walking towards the restaurant in the window.
0: Yes, I forgot to mention that. It's really good. The It is the most scary when, like, it's pre- like its simple premise is just reiterated, which is it's always going to come after you. It's not going to run. Mm-hmm. It's not going to sneak around. It's just...
1: And you don't know who it is. And
0: you don't know who what it form, is.
1: Unless they're naked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a great scene where they're talking to Hugh and kind of confronting him. All the friends are in a circle. And this girl walks by and Hugh like points at her and is like, can you guys see her? Can you see her? And she like and they're like yeah we can see her and she gives him a weird look and it's played off as kind of this comedic comedic relief he, okay, moment and I it's great it's
0: it so he should know it's so obviously not her.
1: but i mean it was someone just walking towards them like it could have been it
0: no it's not I, naked I, it's not like naked it and it is. doesn't have dead eyes and, it's mo- and it's, she's moving too fast and she's not looking directly at them. There's like... <laughs> so <laughs> here's my thing. Well, the reason I was going through the list of the times it appears. So the other time there's a couple of really effective ones when they're at the high school where you just kind of see off in the distance. That's like when it's the best, when they don't even know it's there. Uh and it doesn't even get them, and it's just these times that they have no idea they're being stalked, and it's right there. Um, So there's a couple of, like, random ones kind of off in the distance when they're at the high school. Then when they're at the cabin, it's Yara. Yeah. And then it's the kid next door that was peeping on her. Interesting. And then the next time... And then I think we see it again, and it's Annie, the girl from the beginning,
1: Mm.
0: which is interesting. Uh, Then it's Greg... Then it's Greg's mom. Then it's Greg again. Then it's Naked Man on Roof. <laughs> and then it's so her dad. <laughs> and um, here's where the movie loses me. <laughs> because it's not consistent enough. Like, this is where I find the movie distracting, is being like, why the fuck is it that? because it is always obvious the only reason it's not obvious is sometimes it's just the person is not looking in the direction of where it is Uh, but it's never in a crowd we never see it come from a crowd even though that's posed um it never seems like until the end it's like as someone jay knows like in a way that's effective yeah the time that Yara, she sees Yara <laughs> in the ocean. It's more for us where we're like, oh, oh, oh. But it, like, that's not effective for her and the kid next door. And then it's like changing rapidly. Like none of that I, makes sense.
1: I kind of love that though. I hate it. <laughs> I love that it doesn't make sense. I'm like, the less sense this monster makes to me, the better because it's so chaotic and so
0: no but but the uh, the, i would appreciate if it was pure chaos but then it's like it's her dad who's trying to kill her in the end or it's like hugh's mom and uh greg's mom and they're like naked and there's this weird like oedipal element to it and like i i i want to say one of the reasons that they're like naked all the time is kind of this idea too of like the sex or the maturity is like almost scary. Like Mm -hmm. this, the idea of like entering into sex, but none of these kids are actually ready for it mentally. And so there's something disturbing about that. But then it's like, or it's wearing like white clothes.
1: (laughs) To me, it feels like what you said near the beginning in that dream Mm -hmm. element. I feel like if you saw a monster in a dream, it could take- like whatever nightmarish form, but you would know that's the monster in, in your mind. You'd be like, that's the monster. I need to get away.
0: Well, I, I agree. I just, it's still a movie. But I see movie. what you're saying. it's still yeah. a movie. <laughs> like, and I mean, I think when it does function in that way in a very pure sense, like during the sleepover, when it's naked peeing woman and tall, dead-eyed man, that's when it's the best because it's just like, there is no rhyme or reason. It's just disturbing to be disturbing. Mm. Maybe it's like kind of an addict looking woman because like she's afraid of like becoming like her mom and her mom's addictions. That's probably looking into it a little too much. Um, But like, they're just these disturbing images. And then I find it so distracting when it's like, now they're not naked. They're just wearing like white clothes, (laughs) like the red suits from us, but they're white.
1: (laughs) I'm kind of the opposite but I think it's more effective when it's someone more everyday.
0: I would find it that way if they also blended in with the everyday, <laughs> but they're just like, mm. <laughs> I agree to I guess
1: yellow yellow dress girl, when you don't actually see it, that's when it's kind of the best for me.
0: No, yeah, I And they're think still like, in
1: that form of not being able to even see it, and just, you imagine.
0: And then what is it doing that time? Obviously, it's not walking towards him. It's just like hanging out in the lobby of the theater.
1: Well, maybe it was walking towards them, just very slowly, because he points to it, and you think he'd be freaked out more. Like, there are some plot inconsistencies that's here, what, for sure. And that's
0: what I'm saying. I find the plot inconsistencies, and I think, I think the movie would have been better off explaining it less. Mm. I think it's still, even though it does a pretty good job of not, like, here's the origin of it in this, it's still, there's no reason, then, that, like, Hugh has to be, like, sometimes it's someone in a crowd. Sometimes it's someone you know. I think it does that just to hurt you. Yeah. Like, only that barely comes into play in the movie and only at the end and with very little backstory of like why her dad would hurt. I
1: didn't know it was her dad.
0: It's only revealed when you see the photo at the very end.
1: And I didn't even connect that. Yeah, exactly. Well, Okay.
0: Well then can we get into my (laughs) other problem with the movie, which is that characters come up again, for instance, finding out that the woman at the very beginning, the naked woman is Hugh's mom uh or that uh annie as i have found out through reading about it follows on the internet the girl at the beginning is hugh's high school girlfriend <laughs> didn't get that uh this movie relies on you remembering what a lot of uh average white people's faces look like yeah that's true <laughs> that is
1: Yeah, like, that scene on the beach, like, I didn't know that was Yara until you told me it was Yara.
0: I didn't know it either. All of these things, (laughs) I had to, like, read more about the movie, and then I was like, wait, all of these characters are, like... And that's what, that's why it's distracting to me, because it's like, well, then it's obviously intentional, who it appears as and why, Uh and it feels less chaotic and random. I actually found it creepier on the beach when I didn't realize who the kid was and I didn't realize who the girl was. But now I'm like, oh, these are all people we know? Why? Why is it all people we know? Because then you don't have to
1: hire another actor on your (laughs) shoestring budget.
0: Why is this... There's this creepy naked kid who's... or Not naked kid. Next door kid who's like peeping on her. But we don't explore that at all. I don't know. There's some there's some inconsistencies and they feel so lazy to me, which is mm. what I find frustrating is because we have this amazing allegory of like this fear of growing up and this really great writing around it. And this like of this like existential fear that I think like you and I have had probably around mm. 2015, probably yeah. around now. And, uh, and then there's like dumb shit where I'm like, why is, Greg's mom naked and having dead sex with him? <laughs>
1: <laughs> she fucked him to death.
0: Why is the, the monster on the roof? Did it think uh, it was going to I gonna love the fi- monster being no, on I, the roof. I, I, I love the image <laughs> of it, but it makes no fucking sense. It's like the rules are so bare bones mm. and the movie breaks the rules all the time. And I find that frustrating.
1: I guess I'm willing to forgive it from my stance just because it's good horror. <laughs> and the imagery is so good. It's like, I don't... I mean, I care about the plot, but like to me, the plot in this movie is secondary to the base premise and to the cinematography and to the style of it all.
0: Okay, well, this is a great transition then because my next question in dissecting in this movie is as far as why did it get praise is it good horror is it scary and i think you were talking at the beginning um about how um this new wave of horror came around like our generation of like starting to appreciate this sort of thing and how there might be some like personal connection of what we see in these movies and why we want to praise them or why we're attached to them and so you're saying it's good horror so what what is scary to you in this movie like what is the fear that it's playing into with you
1: the fear and what really stuck with me after watching this movie for like a long a pretty long time is that is just the the base premise of it that, Someone is following you. Something is following you. And it will never stop following you. And that relentless, you know, just even that it makes me like look behind me and see is somebody behind there? Are they following me? It's the, it's the thought of what could be that this movie brings up that there could be people around you with evil intentions that you don't know about.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And along with the sick-ass jump scare. (laughs) (laughs) And some really good shots of lingering scares of it in the background. Just walking is a really good image. Um, Despite some of the more... Plot, stupid plot stuff <laughs> that gets in the way.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something flat out. Yeah, I think the third act is bad.
1: <laughs> Interesting. The Not end the end. I will say
0: the last like couple minutes are good.
1: The end shot's so good. The
0: end shot's great, but the third act, right up to that, I think is bad.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Um, like the pool. Yeah. Well, that's, like, that's the most forgettable part of the movie, anyway.
0: You know, but <laughs> that... Mm, Stefan, that's so frustrating.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm in the position where, like, there was... There's so little... So little, like, really nuanced <laughs> horror that I'm willing to forgive, like, basically anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And I think that's, like, why our, our history with horror plays into... The praise of this movie which is like I need more I think to be impressed because I haven't been disappointed Mm -hmm. you know to the same extent I and I I I do want to say like I love I really like this movie there are parts of it that I love like so much that I haven't seen in movies before that I think is excellent but it feels like two movies to me hmm And like, it's like a horror movie and a coming of age movie. And it feels like both elements are in both halves of the movie, but the first half is horror movie first, coming of age second. And the second half is coming of age first, horror second, especially because those fight scenes where it's invisible and they're fighting it. God, I wish that wasn't in the movie. It's so funny. (laughs) I laugh every time. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like um, the special effects in the movie Chronicle when they're like doing like telekinesis, <laughs> and it's just like. This it reminded little...
1: <laughs> me of that really funny scene from Fight Club where he's fighting himself on the security cameras.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't oh. find any of the like second half suspenseful, except for like naked man on the roof. That's creepy, but it's like th- it's the whole tone of the movie goes from yeah this really horrifying premise i agree with you the premise of something it always it always following you with nothing but like nefarious intent is horrifying and very grounded in reality like it doesn't have to be a monster could be real in other ways and also the idea of something lurking in the shadow that's going to come up right behind you and you can't you have no control i think that's what's scariest about it as someone who has so much anxiety about things i can't control it's the idea that you really can never permanently get, a r- get rid of it um, that I find horrifying. But the second half is just, like, so devoid of the same kind of lurking feeling because they spend so much time now focusing on this group of kids, essentially, coming up with a plan in a very, like, stand-by-me it fashion, you know? <laughs> Where they're like, we're gonna get all the gadgets together, and Paul's being a cuck, and like, (laughs) and then it turns into like all of this like teen melodrama almost, which also starts to leave like this existential. Like, I also feel less of the existential stuff Mm -hmm. because it just becomes so much of like, what are they feeling? (laughs) And to me, it ultimately doesn't make it a good horror movie. I think it's a pretty good coming of age movie. To me, there are great horror moments, but it's not necessarily good horror. But
1: Hmm.
0: back to the, I think I'm getting ahead, back to the question, why did it get praised? I think for the reasons you stated, when you have a decade of, chucky and freddie murder paranormal <laughs> activity vhs or whatever um this is really different and to have a movie that isn't just purely about the horror plot but has like really really substantial themes happening in it is is new is different um but i didn't endure all of those movies <laughs> so i wanted it to be scarier <laughs> That's fair. We got to move on soon, but do you have, um, you love this movie a lot. So I'm going to let you have the final word on, on what this movie is, is doing and why it's good.
1: Um, this movie for me, came at a time maybe when I was losing faith in horror a little bit. It feels like something that really kind of reinvigorated my love of the genre, not only because it was a scary movie, but because of how well done it really is from an artistic sense. Um, And that's kind of what really sells movies for me is not the overall plot necessarily. Like I'm willing to forgive stuff if it's interesting artistically and visually engaging and maybe a little over the top. That's just, that's my jam. Um, really with movies.
0: I hear you. I think
1: this movie feels like it was made for me. (laughs)
0: Um, It is, it is all the, the tenets of Stefan Carlson.
1: And just, Oh God, guys, the shots This movie is so visually well done.
0: I could bathe in it. I could bathe in this movie.
1: (laughs) I kind of want to see what the cinematographer has done after this.
0: You got to watch Split.
1: (laughs) I have seen Split and it was okay. (laughs) Um, It wasn't nearly as impressive artistically as this movie was, but...
0: Um, Yeah,
1: that's... That's really why I love this movie.
0: You know, I... go ahead go ahead I'm
1: just in general willing and horrid forgive plot in general I don't even really think about plot usually it's like the ring like the ring's about a fucking cursed videotape and a little girl fucking crawls out of your tv and kills you like what the fuck is that like and people that's a criticism about the ring a big one is like this is stupid this would never happen this is so over the top and out of nowhere And yet The Ring's one of my favorite movies just because it's so unrelentingly scary to me and so atmospherically well done and a cut above the rest and really when I see elements of that of the atmosphere of the dread of these well composed shots that are really purposeful I I attach onto that immediately and I'm like this is special I need to, I'm gonna love this probably for that reason. And I'm not willing to do it as much with other genres, but definitely in horror.
0: I feel that. I don't think I disagree with like your feelings about the movie at all. I just think I'm willing to forgive the things because of what it does well as a movie I just think it's like it's the horror element where I actually I just think we disagree about the horror element
1: yeah like, and I, I think can it see doesn't that. come
0: together for me at the end in the in a horror sense but at the but I, I can forgive that because it's a good movie mm. but
1: whereas I guess those moments in the beginning are enough to tie me over
0: I wish they were for me And part of me wishes I could see this in movie theater because I think it would tide me over more if I was in that kind of atmosphere. But watching at home, it's very easy for me to lose that feeling.
1: Yeah, I totally understand your criticisms of it and can see that and acknowledge they're valid.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Your uh, your love for this movie, uh, I love it. And I also love that we're not in complete agreement because this would be a boring podcast otherwise.
1: Yeah, Um, Fuck you. We're never talking again. (laughs) I'm going to break this glass.
0: Oh, don't. Um, All right, let's mull over this over an ad break and we will give our final verdict. Uh, Don't you just hate it when there's like... He puts on a condom, but he fails to tell you that the condom only works 99% and the 1% are fucking deadly, deadly shape-shifting monsters. Ugh, if only you had comprehensive sex education that would teach you all about what you need to know about fornication. Well, for these reasons and many more, uh, I want to tell you about Psychus, uh, which is sex ed for social change, uh, an organization that not only fights for nationwide comprehensive sexual education, but who views sexual education as a vehicle for social change. Uh, some of the amazing things that Psychus does, it recognizes that good sexual and reproductive health is a human right it advances comprehensive sexuality education as a means of building a foundation for long-term cultureship that will positively impact all levels of society particularly issues of gender and racial equity sexuality sexual and reproductive health consent personal safety and autonomy a psychist also commits to working to dismantle the systems of power and oppression which perpetuate disparate sexual and reproductive health outcomes and incubate stigma and shame around sex and sexuality across the intersections of age race size gender gender identity and expression class sexual orientation and ability they apply this intersectional lens to ensure that people's real lived experiences inform policy education, and strategic communications work. We encourage you to support and donate to PSYCHUS. You can learn more about them at PSYCHUS, that's S-I-E-C-U-S dot org. And additionally, for every listen, we'll donate $2 up to a total of $50 to PSYCHUS and their efforts to make sure sexual health, education, and resources are accessible and intersectional. Now if you'll excuse me, I gotta go see a gyno about something and we're gonna keep talking about It Follows.
1: I like how you you equated good sex ed to knowing that the 1% of the time the condom doesn't work. It's because of sex monsters. That was good uh
0: <laughs> maybe i need comprehensive sex ed
1: Psychus, is get in here
0: psychos help me all right stefan let's wrap uh um, let's, what
1: sorry i was just thinking about um how you feel about this movie is i think how i feel about charlie kaufman's I'm thinking of ending things.
0: Oh, interesting. On
1: Netflix. Um, we watched that together um, digitally and I was really sucked in at the beginning. I was like, this movie's genuinely kind of unsettling and scary and I'm like, where's it going? And then it, after they left the parents' house, it slowly began to lose me Um, And then in the third act where there's this dance number when they get to his high school. And then there's like, there's an award ceremony segment at the end that just completely made me want to fuck off entirely from the movie.
0: You know what? I feel you on that. I haven't rewatched I, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and I think I need to, but I also am afraid to. <laughs> because I'm afraid... I, I want to like it more than I did, especially mm. that third act. And I'm with you. Um, there's something really disappointing when... <sighs> I think both of us who are enthralled by dread to some extent, at least in a movie capacity i think there's something really disappointing when you your brain starts anticipating really fucked up shit to happen and no fucked up shit happens mm. and it's actually like really flaccid
1: Fair. and it's
0: like they throw things at it in the pool <laughs> <laughs> they do a dance and it's like no i wanted this thing to like I wanted to actually feel like this is a close call or I wanted to actually feel like there's some dark shit happening here or whatever. And it's actually about existentialism.
1: (laughs) That's how I feel about all of Charlie Coffin's movies.
0: Really? But I don't feel like any other... I feel like I like like
1: them, but I don't love them. And I want to love them. Like, I want to love them so bad.
0: The ones I've seen I, I love, except for I'm thinking of ending things, which maybe I do love. I don't know. That's, I got to that's like a, got to chew on it.
1: It's like being John Malkovich, um, Lisa. Mm. and just never, like, I wanted, I went in and I'm like, I'm going to love this. And just, I thought it was like, it was pretty, it's pretty good. Pretty, pretty okay. Mm. I don't know what it is. Well, Fun we should do plot. some
0: Charlie Kaufman at some point. Yes.
1: Um
0: let's wrap Adaptation, up. Adaptation
1: though I love.
0: I love Eternal Sunshine. Um did he direct? No, who? No, he wrote it. Michael he wrote Gondry. That? Or I'm sorry, I think it's Michelle Gondry. Huh, um, I'm
1: pretty into Eternal Sunshine.
0: Yeah. Um he definitely things are a little different when he directs it himself. Um spike jones directed adaptation so that also explains it we love spike jones um let's wrap this shit up let's uh finish talking about spit swallows uh it swallows (laughs) our favorite porn parody no um, nuance is dead dead so it follows why do we think people liked it
1: um, I think it comes down to what we, we mentioned before that the era of horror was very, um, how do I say this delicately? Low brow. Um, bad. And bad, <laughs> mediocre, derivative, just all things you don't want. It was like, guys, like before this, it was Saw. Like, it was straight, it was fucking, like, 10 years of Saw, and then Paranormal Activity came out, and it was 10 years of Paranormal Activity. <laughs> I know was. that brings it to, like, 2020, but it felt like 10 years of that. So this was, like, new and interesting and unique, and had something to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think when if you are familiar with the horror genre and the horror genre up until 2015 and in recent time before that yeah this is really new and it does it ushers in a new era not just of indie horror but just like kind of more indie art house filmmaking you know I mentioned A24 and Neon Mm. earlier those companies aren't known exclusively for distributing horror and thriller movies you know they're they're known for a whole bevy of Those distribution companies are known exclusively for horror. I mean, they've done a lot of, like, indie stuff. Neon did Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Parasite, for example.
1: A24 Um, did Spring Breakers, one of our favorite (laughs) movies ever. love Spring Breakers.
0: But yeah, so they're known for, like, investing and distributing. We've just kind of seen that uptick in the last five years, just overall, not just in horror, but in every Mm. genre, of seeing, like, director visions actually get to, like, come alive and get yeah. to see the audience um, in a way that like from 2010 to 2015 there were a lot of good movies but they were like by that set of Gen X heavy hitters you mm-hmm. Tarantinos and your David Finchers and your Darren Aronofsky's and you know that's who you saw in the first half of the 2010s and in the second half you get Barry Jenkins and you get Jordan Peele and you get Greta Gerwig and you get Ari Aster and all of these Really fresh filmmakers who have the opportunity they 're not just making their movies but they 're getting distributed to an audience and marketed in a way that 's really smart um, and it follows us right at the beginning of that of that wave, but the weinstein company hey <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah and I, and there, the thing to fear here there are two things to fear here which is um, Losing Your Innocence and uh, Strangers Following You and Killing You. <laughs> Both are very relatable. <laughs> yes. Um. I mean, I guess we've talked about this, but what do we like about it? I mean, in summation.
1: Well, I love everything this movie does visually ever. It was, it feels like, and on a visual level this movie was made for me it's it's all my aesthetic it's all amazingly well executed well done some of these shots are like guys it's like it's insane actually it my tear up a little thinking about it
0: <laughs> i'm thinking of some of the shots and i'm literally getting goosebumps i will say yeah. this is my favorite cinematography i'm maybe i've ever seen it's incredible shout out to was greg uh,
1: Mike, Mike, oh, no. G, Mike Gia,
0: Giatkikis <laughs>
1: Mike Giolakis.
0: We we owe it to him. He does such a good job. We owe it to yeah. him to remember his name. Mike Giolakis. Shout out to you. You're a real one, man. Good luck with your next M Night Shyamalan movie.
1: <laughs> Thank you for doing everything I've ever wanted, visually <laughs> oh
0: in my one god. movie. Oh, I'm like getting chills. Oh, god um but yeah, yeah and the score the score's so good score's
1: really good it's kind of like an 80s throwback It kind of throws back to that slasher era of 80s heavy synths and whatnot i feel like i could that would be a good one to have on final for yeah. sure yeah
0: yeah i would want to get the score on final um i the whole first half of the movie i think is maybe perfect um I think, like, the opening, it, such a good cold open. Um, the first sleepover when no one knows what Jay's necessarily talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the first time she really notices that it's following her. Um, that The whole first half is really incredible. And with really great dialogue, too, like her monologue about... Um, Growing up and
1: in the car, um,
0: some of these passages from *The Idiot*, which we didn't even <laughs> dissect that old <laughs> Dostoevsky yeah. piece, but uh, some themes of death from that and accepting it. <laughs> um, and I, I think it's overall m- exploration of this weird time when you want to grow up. I've I've never seen like that specific age where you're not in high school but you're not really quite an adult yet.
1: So you're not a girl but like not, not yet, yet, a, yet woman. a woman.
0: Yeah, I've never seen that explored in such like a really realistic way where I'm like, yeah like that's what people who are 19, who are 20 seem yeah. like. Um, I guess
1: that would be around the age when I saw this and Yes, would find that really relatable
0: yeah because I I turned 20 in 2015
1: these characters do feel relatable
0: they're very relatable for sure I mean I I would make a I think it's really funny to say um I have a thought fart but it is (laughs) (laughs) um
1: yeah that's that's sound brand
0: uh and, like, also all of the sex scenes are, like, very much, like, what sex when you've only had it a few times is, like, which is, like, one position. Enjoying it, but, like, kind of keeping the same rhythm. <laughs> 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 Bra on. Um, yeah. I mean, is, is it worthy of praise? I think we'd both say yes. Yeah. Um, I do think this is a good movie. And I... I will always uphold a movie that goes for it, even if it doesn't 100% succeed, over a movie that doesn't do anything different or original. I agree. Let's give that some praises. Yeah.
1: No, that's who said that shit. We <laughs> don't put any music in for praises.
0: Um, Stephen, I up, you, know. you can do 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 do. do. <laughs> um, how many praises do you think this movie got out of five?
1: Um, well, according to Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> be like a four point seven five. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give it a four.
0: I, I would go with a four as well. Wasn't totally universal, but it was—it was a very hype movie when it came out. Uh, how many praises would you give it out of five?
1: Yeah, four and a half.
0: I go with three and a half. I I have such a complex really. I really like it. I just I just don't necessarily like it for what it's supposed to be.
1: <laughs> That's our biggest gap yet.
0: Is it? I feel yeah. like I. Oh, man. Um, It just is so weird because I think some of my favorite things in a movie ever are in this movie. But I just, I find the ending, except for that end shot, the end shot's satisfying. But the climax is so unsatisfying to me. But.
1: That end shot's so good,
0: though. Speaking of climaxes that are unsatisfying. (laughs) Oh, um, shit. Our next movie. (laughs) I see what you did, and I love it i fucking love it (laughs) steven the next movie we're talking about is a movie that um i think has received far more praise than it follows uh groundbreaking praise in if it follows suggested where the horror um horror movies might be going this next movie really uh really put a rubber stamp on it we're going to talk about ari aster's breakthrough movie hereditary and uh i i won't spoil where it's going but to kind of entice you to listen uh, i actually
1: feel about hereditary how you feel about this movie
0: (laughs) i feel about hereditary what i feel about this movie except i like parts of it follows more um fuck
1: oh shit shit
0: (laughs) shit (laughs) so we're gonna be talking about hereditary and it's probably gonna be a very controversial discussion (laughs) uh i
1: I thought you were gonna be nicer to hereditary than me but now i don't know actually
0: i don't i don't we can't we can't get into it we'll get into it later um this is a movie we have both seen uh i've only seen it once i don't know about you we've only seen it once
1: i've seen it once in theaters
0: so, um, the, it'll be good for us to both revisit it and to see if our feelings, our mutual feelings about it change. And we're going to be, uh, joined by a guest, yeah. um, for, also from our high school days. Mm-hmm. Um, someone we cherish very much, but, uh, you'll have to wait until the episode to find yeah. out.
1: Come see if it's you. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird?
0: <laughs> um, so, uh, and then we'll have a ne- next week. We'll have a mini sode that'll uh, won't be a full episode, but uh, we'll be having a different horror conversation because uh, yeah. this is Spooky October. So, Ooh, spooky. Uh, until then, eat lots of Reese's pumpkins. Uh, make sure to oh, look behind you frequently. <laughs> Get some comprehensive sex ed. Wear a condom and praise responsibly.
1: Didn't, like, get like a pumpkin condom. Tis the season.
0: Pumpkin flavored or pumpkin shaped?
1: Either. Do, do <laughs> you? Do you, babes? And when he asked me, do you uh, praise
0: it. Re- pr- praise praise it. Praise it. 420 <laughs> praise <laughs> it. I didn't want to tell <laughs> you. Alright. That my heart grows colder with each day. When you love.